Um, good morning. My name is Todd. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I'm grateful to be with you this morning. Um, like Tom said, we're going to keep cruising through uh, Galatians. We've been studying Galatians for the past few weeks, and this morning is going to be no different. Um, we're going to look at chapter 2 and consider verses 1 through 10. Um, the, so far in chapter 1 of Galatians, um, the thing that we've looked at is this guy named the Apostle Paul has written a letter to a young church community uh, in the region of Galatia. And there's a certain conflict that's happening in this church community that we'll unpack this morning um, and try to bring some clarity to. And he is upset about it, to say the least. He's passionate and emotional. The letter feels kind of chaotic if you've read through Galatians. And uh, fortunately enough, this section, 2, 1 through 10, I promise you, feels like the most chaotic section. And um, this morning, my goal is, to, is uh, by the grace of Jesus, is just to bring some clarity to what's going on. Um, and so let's go ahead and read that section. So if you have it open, uh, Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up, Paul, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took my friend Titus along also, and I went in response to a revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel, the good news that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. And yet not even Titus, right here with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek or a Gentile. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And as for those that were held in high esteem, the leaders in Jerusalem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. And they added nothing to my gospel message. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Let's pray. Jesus, I just, uh, we just consider this morning Galatians 2, 1 through 10. And Jesus, my prayer in my heart is uh, clarity on what you're trying to tell us and what you're trying to show us and what Paul is writing to this church community about. Jesus, help us to see. Jesus, help me to articulate clearly your scriptures and your gospel message this morning. Amen. So Paul's, this section of the letter, Paul's giving us um, 
uh, he's giving us a narrative exploration of the issue that's happening in the church of Galatia, and he's referencing something that's already happened in the past. The situation in Galatia, it's happened before, and here's what happened, here's what we did, and this is what we're reading. And when we read through this and start hearing about, you know, guys that we're not necessarily familiar with, leaders in the Jerusalem church, we start reading about Gentiles and uncircumcised and circumcised. Um, I don't know about you, but I didn't uh, talk about Gentile circumcision at dinner last night. And so this is strange. It, it, it feels strange to me initially. And the uh, potential for us to get off track and confused about what's going on here, I think is high, or at least for me, it's high. And so this morning, um, the way that I've been thinking about it, it, bringing clarity to this, is yesterday some friends and I went and we, uh, we were running through the gorge. And in the, in the middle of these trails in the gorge, it's so easy to get lost because it all starts to look the same. There are these trees and the canopy is really thick and you can't really see out of it. And I don't know what direction I'm facing and I don't know how long I've been running and where I'm at. But there was a moment where we, uh, we ran up this mountain and there's this uh, little stairwell that brings you to a plateau. And it was unbelievable. You could see to the north, you could see Mount Adams and Mount Rainier. Um, Mount St. Helens, and then right behind us to the south, you could see Mount Hood, you could see Mount Jefferson, and it was unbelievable. And it was instantly, uh, it brought perspective, and it helped uh, me get my bearings and be oriented as to what I was doing and to where I was. And so this morning, the goal is going to be to do that, where we consider, uh, we find some high ground and consider the story that's humming beneath this passage in Galatians and try to orient ourselves to some strange questions like, who are Gentiles? Why are we talking about circumcision? Um, who are these people that are with Paul? What race is Paul running? And what message is he carrying? So 2, 1 through 2. Then after 14 years, Paul's been out at a while, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas, and I took my friend Titus along also. And I went in response to a revelation, and I met privately with the leaders in the church community in Jerusalem. And I presented to them the gospel good news message that I preach among the Gentiles. And I wanted to be sure that this race that I was running, I had not been running in vain. And so the first thing that we're going to consider is what race Paul might be running. And so if you have your Bibles, open them up and turn to Genesis chapter 12, Verse 1. Now, if you've been following the reading plan that we're doing as a church community, you should have already cruised through this, so it'll be fresh in your brain. So, Genesis chapter 12, up until this point, chapters 1 through 11, the story roughly goes like this that there is a good creator God, and he's made everything, um, he's made the heavens and the earth. And he made humans to go on the heaven and the earth. And his hope and the, the whole plan was that these humans that he created would be faithful partners in ruling and reigning over his creation. And by the time we get to chapter 3, what happens? They fail. They don't, they don't do it. Not only do they fail, but they turn against the God that created them 
And the next few chapters of Genesis, from 4 to 11, are this really intense, uh, it's all the symptoms. It's what happens after the humans rebel against God. And you've got brothers fighting and killing each other, and you've got these crooked kings that uh, rule corruptly and are abusive and abuse their power. And then you have these humans coming together, and they're so prideful that they create this city and this place for their own name and for the glory of their own name. And not only do they create this city and this nation for the glory of their own name, they do it at the expense of all the rest of the humans around them. And this is the story that 1 through 11 is telling us, that God created a good world and humans have rebelled against it and against him and have made a mess of things. So here's where we pick up. Genesis 12. The Lord's talking to this guy named Abram. And he says to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And Abram, I will make, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those, those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. All nations on earth will be blessed through you, Abram. And so the string that I want you to tie around the race that Paul is running in Galatians is this first uh, mountaintop, is that Paul is running a race that's bringing blessing to everyone, to all peoples on earth, all nations. This is so important that God is so committed to his broken world that's, that's gone wrong at, at the hands of the humans, and he's so committed to it that he's going to do something about it. And he's not going to give up on it. And not only is he not going to give up on it, but he's going to bring blessing. And he's going to begin to bring blessing through this particular man. And the way that he's going to bring blessing through this particular man is to create this family. And out of this family will come blessing to all nations. That's where we're at so far. So let's flip back to Galatians. So have this, have this in your brain, this race that Paul is running. And not only is he running a race, he's carrying a particular message. And then he goes on to say, yet not even Titus, who was here with me, was compelled to be circumcised. Now, just a quick note. If you don't know what circumcision is, call your mother or phone a friend, somebody that you love and trust, <laughs> and go out to lunch and have them explain it to you, because I'm not going to explain it here today. I'm just going to pretend like you know. Um, <laughs> so not even Titus, this guy that was, is with me. In this moment, he wasn't even compelled to be circumcised even though he was a, a Greek, a Gentile. And all Gentile means, means is if you're not part of this special family, this unique family that God has chosen in Abraham, which is what family? The, the Jewish family. If you're not part of this family, all other peoples, all other nations are Gentiles. And so Titus, this guy, 
Galatians 2.3, who was with Paul. This guy that's a Gentile was not compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile, a Greek. And this conflict, here we go, this matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus, to make us slaves. And I want to go back to Genesis again, because part of what's important here is this tension, and Paul starts attaching words like freedom and slavery to the circumstances in Galatia, the argument that's taking place. And so flip back to Genesis. We've read 12. God's doing something through Abraham and Abram and this family. He's going to bring blessing to the Gentiles, to all peoples, to all nations. Now turn to chapter 15. 15 verse 1. And again, this is another one of those mountaintop peaks that helps orient us and bring clarity. Genesis 15.1. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. What's Abram struggling with right here? What's been promised to him? A family, descendants. And what does he not have? A family and descendants. And he's, he's wrestling with this. God, what are you going to do? Then the, Lord, then the word of the Lord came to him. This man, Eleazar of Damascus, will not be your heir. But a son, who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And so we consider the state, God's a good creator God. We consider the state of the world. God has made a promise to this man, Abram, that God's going to bring blessing to the entire earth, all peoples, all nations, and he's going to do it through starting an awesome family through Abram. Abram's like, hasn't happened yet. What's going on? And God says, hey, come outside. See all the stars? I'm going to make your nation as numerous as the stars, your family as numerous as the stars. And what does Abram do? Verse 6, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram trusted in what he hoped for in the promise and was assured about what he could not see. He didn't have the thing that God had promised him, and he couldn't see it. But he believed. He said, okay, I believe you. And God, this is so huge. God said over Abram, you've had faith and trust in me. This is a right relationship with your creator, God. So fast forward, promise, trust, faith. God's doing something amazing. Fast forward to chapter 17 in Genesis. I know this is a lot of, a lot of scripture, but just hang with me. So chapter 17 and I'll just read. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. 
then I will make my covenant, my agreement between me and you, and I'll greatly increase your numbers. Genesis 12, the, the promise of blessing. Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. You will no longer be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants, and after you for the generations to come, to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. And then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep this agreement, this covenant, my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. What's he supposed to keep? The covenant, if it's not clear by this point. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. This whole thing, Genesis 1 through 11, the world's a mess, but God's a good creator God that's committed to his world. Blessing, promise to Abraham, and that through Abraham's family, God's going to do something unbelievable. And God's going to bring blessing to all nations and all peoples. And Abram believed him. This is what they're talking about. And the thing that we, that we do, the thing that they do to remember this agreement and this covenant is circumcision. The external sign of what's happening is circumcision. So flip, just hang with me, flip back to Galatians and reread this section again. Verse three, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised to perform the sign of the covenant. And who are they with? They're with the leaders in Jerusalem. If there was ever a chance or an opportunity or a situation that this was supposed to be the case, it would have been right now. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Gentile. He's one of the all nations, all peoples of the earth. Because what family is Titus not a part of? The Jewish family. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. Now Paul, it's scandalous, but Paul has attached to this external sign of the covenant from Genesis 17, and this whole story is humming beneath all of this. Paul has said, if you do this, if you obey and submit yourself to this external circumstance, that you're going into slavery. I mean, I can't imagine how scandalous that would have been to say that. Because what's supposed to happen through this family? Blessing. Is it, a, is it a good thing in Genesis 12 to be in the family of Abraham? Oh, yeah. God's going to use you guys to bless everyone else. 
And for Paul to say, hey, the sign of this agreement, now it's slavery. And the thing that I really want to grasp this morning is that an external circumstance is not righteousness. Something internal and heart level is needed. Because what did we learn about righteousness from Genesis chapter 15? That righteousness is what? Faith. Is Abram had faith. He trusted. He couldn't see, but he was assured, and he trusted that what God had promised, God would make good on his promise. And God says this, not circumcision, not an external thing, an external sign, but a, an internal posture of the heart. And there are, these, there are these people in the church in Galatia that are questioning this. And they've come, they've come to Jesus, apparently, and they've said, yeah, cool, Jesus, we have faith in Jesus, but to really be in the family you have to do the Genesis 15 thing. You have to be circumcised. And Paul says, absolutely not. Absolutely not. God has done something new. And the thing that makes you in right relationship with God is what Abraham did before circumcision. He trusted in him. He submitted to him in faith. And you could see Paul's frustration that these, these brothers would, false brothers would break in and question and challenge faith in God. And you know this dynamic. If you've, ever been around, if you've ever been around kids, I have two kids, and they are unbelievable at creating dissension and discord in our house, especially around dessert, which... They, like, oh my word. So I, it feels like they team up against us. But one, one kid will come to my wife, Carrie, and say, hey, do you know what daddy said? Daddy said we could have dessert at 7.30 and we could eat those cookies. That are on. And then Carrie's like, did he really say that? And then he, she comes to me and said, did you say that? And I said, no, I didn't say that. And then the other one comes to me and said, hey, mom, and do you, you know this dynamic. It is so chaotic and frustrating. And this is what's happening. They're questioning the unity around the message that Paul and the leaders in Jerusalem have. And it's a silly analogy, but I, 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 promise, I promise you, it's true. This is what's going on. And they're creating dissension and disunity around the core message that Paul, remember, Paul's running a race and he's carrying a message. And these, these men are breaking into this family creating discord and dissension and disunity and confusion around what the message might be. And we have to remember, too, that, you know, we look at something like the Ten Commandments, and who can keep these? Who can be faithful to an external pressure, a law? Who can be faithful? I, I can't, and I love you, but neither can you. And... I think there's this tension, and we all know the tension of somebody has an expectation over us that we cannot meet, and it's crushing. 
And there's all kinds of things wrapped up in it. When there's something applied to us, there's an expectation applied to us that is so crushing when we cannot meet it and we fail to meet it often, always. And whether this is, you know, whatever this may be, like I, I think one of the things that I struggle the most with is the expectation over me to be a father, a, a caring, loving father. And when I don't meet that expectation, it's a good expectation, but it's so crushing to acknowledge when I fail. And Paul sees this. What, what circumcision, if, if Titus and these Gentile believers, if they start practicing this, the door that they open is, it's, not, it's no longer faith. It's you do these, you submit yourself to these external expectations and circumstances and pressures. And that if you live up to those, and if you do those, then you'll be in right relationship with God. You'll truly be in the family of God. And Paul is screaming, no. Who can be faithful to these things? Now, the one piece that is at play in Genesis as well is God makes an observation about the human heart about halfway through the story. And what obser- does anybody know what observation God makes about the, human, the condition of the human heart? That it's evil. And its inclination is evil from childhood. Every thought, everything that comes out of the human heart is bent. It's evil. And so we have this conundrum on our hands that God's doing something through a a unique family that he's bringing blessing. And humans have made a mess of the world, but something's wrong. Something's broken in the human heart. And this is the new need now that it's not an external thing that we obey. It's not a law that we submit ourselves to. Paul calls this slavery. But something has to happen with our heart because this is the core issue, apparently. Let's keep reading in Galatians 2 verse 5. We did not give in to these false brothers for even a moment so that the truth of the gospel, this good news message, might be preserved for you. As for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God God does not show favoritism. And they added nothing to my message. And on the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the good news to the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, the nations, just as Peter had been to the circumcised, the Jewish family. For God, who was at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle, a representative to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised, And all they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. I think part of the tension for Paul is if if we begin to move away from faith as making us uh, right and being in right relationship with God, we open up ourselves to slavery. And Paul sees his entire ministry 
in jeopardy if the leaders in Jerusalem and Paul are not unified on what this gospel message actually is. And so you see here Paul struggling with, you don't, the, the Jerusalem leaders don't give me authority. I'm not seeking authority. So what has authority? The gospel has authority. And the Jerusalem leaders acknowledge the gospel authority that Paul has been carrying. And they're unified. And Paul is telling us, telling the Galatians the story for this very reason, that if the, if the church in Galatia makes a move towards circumcision, this external sign of the old covenant, that it's slavery. You guys are missing the point. It's faith. It's been faith all along. And if, if there's this fracture in the church, it's devastating. And then this should ring our Jesus bells in John 17, when Jesus prays for the unity of the church and the way that all the nations will know that Jesus is who he says he is is through our unity, the church's unity. I have to assume that Paul has this in mind, and this is Paul's desire, that the true gospel, faith in God and trust in God makes us right with God, that this is what Paul is talking about and fighting for so, you're probably asking some sort of questions like, okay, cool, like, that's nice. Like, what does that have to do with me today, right here, right now, thousands of years later? And one of the first things I want to, and it's helpful for me to be reminded of, but this, this race that Paul's running that started back in Genesis 12, that we are direct beneficiaries of this, that this is a thousands of thousands of year old Jewish messianic movement. That's, it's here. We're gathered around it. God's, nation, God's mission to the nations, to all peoples on earth to bring blessing. Here it is. This is what we're meeting around. The story that we're a part of goes all the way back to the first pages of the scriptures. And to be reminded that this is the story that's humming underneath all of this and has been all along. And I don't know about you, but it's intensely helpful for me to realize this is a long-established race and journey. God's a good God, and he's committed to his good world. And he wants to heal it and fix it, and he's bringing blessing, and he has brought blessing. And here we are. It started thousands of years ago on the other side of the planet. And we sing Jesus' name, and we have faith in God. That's at the center of who we are in our community. And interestingly enough, all along the way, who has God used to partner with to, to do all of this? Uh, by and large, there's a few weird uh, um, uh, derailments, but who has God used, by and large? humans. Like he's partnered with humans to do this. And my assumption is whether you read about the gospel, the good news message in the scriptures, or whether somebody uh, verbally articulated it to you, God used another human being, the authors of the scriptures, or somebody speaking 
to bring you the gospel message. And the thing that I, it's helpful for me to be mindful of, and I want to encourage you to be mindful of, is that you are not only a benefit, an indirect benefit of Paul's ministry and the race that he was running, but we're called to continue on, to keep running the race that's set before us, to persevere, to invite people into the family of God through faith alone. This is our mission. It doesn't stop when we hear it. It begins when we hear it, and we carry it on, and we keep going. Is this the race and the mission that you wake up thinking about? Is it the mission that you go to sleep thinking about? And as we run the race as a family, and we tune into the story that's been laid out, the earliest pages of the scriptures, as we run this race as a family, like the Galatians, we're still tempted and deceived into raising external behaviors and elevating them to gospel status, good news status. That, that actually, yeah, faith is what brings right relationship between you and God and this other thing, and this behavior, and this political party, or this news station that you watch, the perspective that comes out of this stream of, of faith, this particular doctrine. Yeah, you know, f- faith in God, trust in Jesus. Yeah, cool. And this thing. We still do this. I still do this. And Paul calls, the, Paul calls this slavery that we're enslaving not only ourselves, but our brothers and sisters, and we're creating barriers between people and the gospel, the true gospel. And again, all along, God has identified that the problem here is the condition of our heart, and what what we need is a new heart. External circumcision couldn't provide that. It wasn't necessarily meant to provide that. So we have a problem, and not only does God identify it, but later through the Torah, through the first five books of the Bible, and then later on in the Old Testament prophets, the ones that were watching out for this covenant and this agreement and calling Israel back to God and faithfulness in the covenant, they recognized it too. They said that, yeah, you're participating in circumcision and the sign of the covenant, and you're still unfaithful. The thing that needs to change is you need to circumcise your heart. Something needs to be cut off and cut out of our heart. The Old Testament prophets realized this. Paul realized this. And most importantly, Jesus realized this. And so we get to a place where it begs the question, what message is Paul carrying? What is the good news? What is the gospel message? And what does it have to do with the state of our heart and the circumcision of our heart? And there was one human that understood all this. He lived under the law, under the circumstances and the expectation. He lived faithfully. 
he was in constant right relationship with God. He had fully submitted his trust and his faith in the creator God. And this man's name was Jesus of Nazareth. And God became human in him. The good creator God that's bringing blessing to all nations, Genesis 12, God did it himself. God became human in Jesus to show us, to lay out an example before us. And God in his graciousness and giving us a gift said that it's been done. Look to Jesus. And when you have faith in this man, that he was the faithful, he came from the family of Abraham. He was the faithful Israelite. He was the faithful Jew. He did it. It's true. God brought blessing through this man. And when we have faith in this man and we place our trust in him, God become man. When we place our trust in him, when we have faith in him, this is what Paul's fighting for, that this is freedom. That this is being in right relationship with God, nothing else. Now, the outworkings of this faith, this is difficult. And later on in Galatians, Paul will help us begin to unpack this and have eyes to see and discern what this faith means. But today, in 2, 1 through 10, this is the message that Paul is contending and fighting for, that he's so passionately arguing for and running his race for, that we would have faith in Jesus of Nazareth, God become man. He lived this faithfully. He was the faithful human. And when we have faith in him, God gifts us Jesus' life and status in the midst of our unfaithfulness. This is good news, that we're in right relationship with the creator God in spite of our unfaithfulness and our inability to perform and be faithful humans, that we're in right relationship with the creator God. This is good news. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, people that attest to this faith, let us throw off everything that hinders and sin that so easily entangles. And let us run this race with perseverance, the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, and he scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. God made him king, the faithful human ruler, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the author of Hebrews, in thinking of the conflict in Galatia, don't lose heart. The thing that makes you right with God is faith in Jesus alone. And it's God's gift. This is good news. And this morning, if this is the thousandth time that you've heard this, if, if this is the first time that you've heard this, I would just invite you 
God's heart is to bring blessing to all people and how we run away from it often. And this morning, I just pray that you would come to Jesus. Don't let your heart grow weary, but come to him and have faith in him as king, for he's a good king. And he loves us deeply. I hope this morning uh, you consider the story that's running along side and underneath the story and the tension in Galatia. That God wants us to be free through faith in Christ Jesus and no longer slaves. And so for the next few weeks, we'll continue to unpack Galatians and discover what this means and what this looks like and put some meat on the bones.